Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It's great to see everybody today. If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to James chapter one. In fact, I'd encourage you, if you've got a Bible at home, bring it with you. We're gonna, in this series, we'll, we'll keep going through it section by section. The blue Bible in front of you, if you didn't bring one with you, you can turn to the blue Bible, page 1,199. As we're walking through the book of James, and as I told you last week, James doesn't waste any time. He just dives right in. And all of it is just practical, it's straightforward. And as we looked at last week, especially, as he talks about how do you deal with the hard stuff of life? And he's writing a church that's going through a lot of trial, a lot of tribulation, a lot of struggles with that. And last week, he he called us to that even in the midst of trial, even in the hardest days, we can see that God's using it in our life. And so we can even choose joy because we, we know he's using it to develop endurance and perseverance that ultimately leads to greater life. In fact, in verse 12, if you're there in James chapter one, He kind of ends that section with this verse. He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the person, and and that word steadfast, that's what we're talking about, that perseverance, that endurance, that, that ability to stick with it. When you do that, when he has stood the test, he will ultimately receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And, and this promise of life, this promise of crown of life, some don't know, is it a literal crown that we will receive one day? Or is it the image that speaks of the whole life that God's giving us? And so what he's telling us is perseverance in trials leads to the reward of true life. It leads to the reward of true life. And, and this is what I love about this book, because this book is very practically minded of how do I experience what God has promised not just in eternity, but now. And what he's telling us is, it all comes down to, do you trust God and really believe the way he's designed it, what he's called us to, ultimately leads to the life that my my heart and my soul longs for. In fact, if you, you read through the Bible, you'll see this choice over and over again. It's always choose life or choose death. Choose life, choose death. Adam and Eve in the garden, God places them there. Says you have all of life, you have all of the planet, you've got all of this, but you gotta make a choice. And he puts it to us and there's something about in the creation of humanity, God wanted us to have this choice at a heart level. Will you choose life or will you choose death? The one thing I tell you not to do, the day you eat of it, you'll die. Moses If you read through the book of Deuteronomy, as the children of Israel have been brought out of slavery, as he's about at the edge of the land of promise, he says, here's this land, here's this life God's promised for you. And Moses said over and over again in Deuteronomy, he says, you've got to choose. Are you gonna choose to obey God and trust God, which is life, or will you choose death? Joshua does the same thing after he's taken them into the land. At the end of his life, he says, hey, I'm about to leave the scene. The rest of you have got to decide where are you going to serve? You're going to choose life. You're going to choose death. Jesus, when he came, remember what he said? He looked at all of them. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The very life you long for. And adventure, that's core to our mission. 
because we want people, especially everyone in the Bay Area, we want them to experience the way of Jesus, the way he treated people, the way he helped people, the way he reached out, the way he showed what God looks like. So that as they experience the way of Jesus, they would come to the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who he was and specifically what he did on the cross that every person has to embrace in order to ultimately experience the life that God's promised. And so all of this always goes back to life. And it's not just, we're we're bad about this because sometimes we think, well, it's just eternal life to come. This is what I love about James. He says, no, I want you to experience that life now. I want you to experience the way God designed it now. I want you to experience it on your worst day, in your hardest struggle that you could actually know that even the worst thing in my life, my God has the ability to redeem this circumstance and use it for my good. And as I mature in it, I actually experience more life in him. Now, last week he talked about trials in general. Now he's gonna turn it this week and build off of that because he said the main struggle that a lot of us face is not just the trials out there, It's the trial in here. It's the temptations I face. In fact, most of us would say that the main reason I have problems in life are poor choices in life. And it comes out of that temptation. And James recognized, he goes, hey, I I know what that's like. And so he's going to turn it as we look. Look in verse 13. He says, let no one say when he's tempted. And it's fascinating. The word tempted and trial, same root. And so he's still building on the same theme. He talked about these trials from without, but he goes, hey, there's a a trial. There's a test that you're facing in every temptation. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And so if you look at the first part of it, temptation is a trial that can lead to sin, but you need to recognize this. It's not a sin in of itself. Jesus was tempted. It says in Hebrews, he was tempted in every way that we were tempted. And then I love that next line, yet without sin. Isn't that awesome? I mean, there's not a temptation you have faced that Jesus didn't face. And yet he never gave in. Not one time. And and I, I say this because some of you, especially if you're in the middle of temptation, We have an enemy in Satan who likes to play both sides of the fence. In other words, he'll he'll come in one ear, he'll whisper temptation. Oh, you ought to do that. Oh, look at that. Oh, come on. And he'll tempt and he'll tempt and tempt. And then in the other ear, he goes over here and he starts whispering immediately. I can't believe you're attracted to that. You are, boy, do other Christians know what you're tempted by? I can't believe what's going on in your head. I can't, you're not who you think you are, do you? And and here's what he'll try to do all the time. He wants to make you feel less and sin look better. And if he can get those two working together, then that temptation becomes more attractive. James says, when you're tempted. In other words, everyone is going to be tempted. Everyone's going to be tempted. And in that moment, the temptation, I tell you again, our savior was tempted. So temptation itself is not sin. 
But notice what he says. When tempted, we can never blame God for it. You can never blame God. And, and initially you might go, well, I don't blame God. Oh, you might more than you think. Look at his reasoning why we can't blame God. One, God is never tempted. God cannot be tempted. Now, as soon as I say that, you go, okay, wait a second. Didn't you just tell me Jesus was tempted and Jesus was God? And this is part of the mystery. Theologians, it's called the hypostatic union, that he was fully God and fully man. And there's a mystery there that he never lost any part of his divinity, but he experienced all of our humanity. And as we come to it, we recognize Jesus never stopped being God, but he was tempted. He was tempted. And, and when he faced that, he experienced things, and the same mystery applies to death. God cannot die, and yet I know Jesus died on the cross. And, and so it's part of the beauty of what Jesus was willing to go through for our sake, that he was willing to take on full humanity. But, but James is pointing out God in his character, God in who he is, he's not tempted by sin at all. There's no part of sin that's ever attractive to God. He's actually repelled by it. Like a magnet, you ever take a magnet with the two poles? And you take the two poles and they're attracted to each other, but you turn it around and they're repelled. You can't get them close to each other. That's how God is with sin. God looks at it, he goes, there, there's no part of that because it's so antithetical to everything he is. Remember, he is goodness, he is holiness, he is love, he is all that is good in the world. And so, so sin is the corruption of all those things. So God's not tempted. But then he says this line as well, he never tempts. We can never say God's tempting us. And, and this is a hard truth but it's a truth that in this battle with temptation, if you don't embrace this, you can open yourself up to a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. And here's why I say that. You, you can have a temptation that, that seems constant, a temptation that seems so core to who you are. And sometimes it's temptations around appetites, sometimes around food, sometimes around sex, sometimes around an attraction. Maybe it's a same-sex attraction with that. And that temptation is constant enough and, and you can reach a point and the enemy wants to whisper in your ear, well, if you struggle with that, I mean, you didn't choose to struggle with that and most people don't. Remember, it's not sinful to be tempted, no matter what the temptation is. That's not the sin. But if you start redefining it and going, well, maybe God made me that way. Maybe God wants me to do that because, I mean, this is so much a part of my life. And... and and here, here's the problem, listen to me. What you're doing in that moment is you're changing what God has clearly stated as his standards to now match your desires. And once you open the door to that, you really could open it to anything. Once it's driven from what's internal as opposed to his objective truth. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. And God's declared his truth. And so when you find yourself in a place, and, and for some of you, you found yourself, you find yourself in that place over and over again, and you didn't choose to be there. This is the part where I would say in the church, good grief, shouldn't we have grace for each other? Especially, they may be struggling with something you don't, but think about your core struggle. 
And in that, the temptation and the lie that Satan wants you to believe is, hey, redefine truth according to what you feel as opposed to the other way around. And guys, that lie is as old as the Garden of Eden. Because it's the same thing he told Eve. He walked up to Eve and he said, did God really say you couldn't do that? Did God really say that? You really gonna die? Come on. In fact, you'll probably be smarter. Your eyes will be open. You'll be more mature through it. Do you see he's doing the exact opposite? Because he wants you to die. He wants you to experience death. See, when we face temptation, you, you can never say it was from God. And, and when you do that, look what he says. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. He's tempted when you're lured in it. Temptation leads to sin when we're lured by our sinful desires. That word lured or enticed, they're actually both fishing terms or hunting terms. You go back in biblical uses with it. And, and the thought of it is anybody trying to catch prey. I don't know if you've uh, ever been fishing, hunting, done much of that. In Northern California, I don't find as much. Arkansas, man, everybody in the room, yes, they would know exactly with that. Uh, you go fishing. I've got a friend, uh, Chuck Farneth, a guy I know that uh, he, he left his job because for about three years, he won the ESPN outdoor games in fly fishing. He was that good at it. And so he ended up opening a lodge up in Northwest Arkansas and has executives, people flying from all over the world to just spend a week with them fishing there and go fly fishing. And, and it's fascinating when you're with Chuck, cause Chuck as a believer, he always uses his experience to talk to guys about what's going on in their life. And, and you're there and you're trying to take a, a little fly. It's, it's tied up like it looks like an insect and you just want to dot it up on the water and make it look like an insect. And those trout are pretty smart. In fact, the older trout, the big ones you wanna catch, they're really smart. There's a reason they got big. They didn't fall for stuff like that. And, and, so, so, and I'd watch Chuck, he was so good at it, he, he could know exactly how to make it twitch, make it look, to, to where that, that trout just couldn't stand it anymore. That desire finally takes over and that primal instinct and they bite. And what looked so enticing, they find out too late actually had a hook in it. It wasn't life, it was death. I, a, a other picture of it, and I see it the most, when, when I, I loved it, if you've ever been duck hunting, it's so fun. It really is. You, you go out and you go, you gotta go early. Ducks are really smart and they have great eyesight. And so you gotta go, you gotta go someplace where there's some water and you go to a duck blind. It's, it's kind of a little blind that's built up and you've got branches camouflaging it. And then you just wait and on the water, you gotta put some decoys if you really wanna get some ducks. Cause again, they're smart. They don't wanna just come to that empty water. And so the decoys are usually females out on the water. And the decoys, the really good ones have some movement. Their arms are kind of moving that. I mean, it looks really good. And then the ducks are flying by way up high. And when you see them flying by, then the guide takes a duck call and does that little duck call, which again is a female call. It's basically a female going, hey, baby. <laughs> it throws it out there. And then you just watch. And here's what you hope. Will he make the turn? 
Because whoever that lead duck, if he can make the turn, ah, he's interested. And then usually he won't come right down. They're, they're wary. He'll kind of throw out a call. Like, hey, what's going on? How you doing? And then he kind of calls back again. Hey, we got a little duck party going on down here. You want to check this out? And then, then, then they start circling lower and lower. And the whole time they're kind of watching it. And then in that moment, when they get low enough and you pop up out of that blind with a gun, and I mean, the duck's kind of flying by and they do get this look like, oh. Because it's death. I mean, the, the whole thing is all about enticement and lures. It's all about your appetites. And in that, those desires unchecked is what leads to it. You go, what are, what are our desires? Well, John tells us, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. He puts it in kind of three categories that you're gonna struggle with. Some translations put it the lust, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. The, those core lusts that come out of me of flesh, the sins where I struggle with appetite, where I struggle with, with sexual desires in that. The lust of the eyes where I see something, where I'm greedy, where I'm comparing, where I spend all my life on social media comparing to other people and feeling terrible in the process. And then the, the pride of life where I basically said, I deserve this, I want this. YOLO, you only live once. And, and when I'm never willing to say no to me, oh, man, I'm open to anything. It's interesting, I, I read this week of core struggles that people had core things that they were struggling with temptation was. L listen to the ones that just, and this is across America, people that say they were tempted with the most. They're tempted by worrying or being anxious, tempted by procrastination, putting things off, tempted by eating too much, tempted by spending too much on time on social media, tempted by being lazy, spending more money than they could afford, gossiping, jealous, envy, viewing pornography or sexual temptations, abusing alcohol or drugs. And I think one that wasn't on the list that should, tempted by lying, as we deceive ourselves in the process. Because there's something on that list that you go, yeah, I struggle with that. I'm tempted by it. And they all can probably fit into one of these buckets. It either comes out of desires of the flesh, desires of things I want from within, or things I saw. Or just ultimately, I want life my way. I mean, you go all the way back to the garden. The very first sin had all three of those things. When the women, woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. Look, she saw the fruit was good. Yes, let's, I want to eat that. And it was pleasing to the eye. Ooh, I like what I see. And ultimately, oh, it's going to make me wise. Yeah, I, I like the thought of that. I like the thought. You know what? He just, the, the serpent just told me, I eat this, I get to be like God. I want to be God. I want to be in control. She took the fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband and he ate it. And in that moment, 
there was the hook. In that moment, the blind goes up and the guns come out and you go, oh, it's death. And it happens every time. That's why James looks at it and says, when you do this, look what happens. Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. He points out this unbroken chain, sinful desires lead to actual sin, which then leads to death. And he uses the image in both cases of birth. It's like you got three generations that happen right there where, where these desires that you've let just go unchecked with it lead to the actual act of sin. But it doesn't stop there. Sin immediately gives birth to death. They always go hand in hand. There's never a sin without death since the very first one. And, and it doesn't mean you drop dead immediately, but, but it's death to the life as God designed it. It's death to what I'm experiencing inside. It's death to relationships. It's death to purpose. It's death to all those things that you see. It always goes hand in hand. And in that moment, it, it's interesting because you, you look at this progression, James has, has pointed out, we got two different paths that you can follow. Last week he said, hey, I come to trial, maybe even temptation, but I choose to obey God and I trust him and I persevere and I even choose joy. And I persevere because out of that trial comes the endurance and out of the endurance, what comes? My character has changed. And out of that, what did he promise in verse 12? Life, it always leads to more life. This is what God wants you to experience, more life. What does sin always do? I come to a temptation. And when I uh, give in to that, it leads to sin and sin always leads to death. Choose life or choose death. And, and when you do that, notice the next verse of it because it goes hand in hand with what he's talking about. The next verse, he says, do not be deceived, my beloved brother. And why does he say this? Because with every sin, there's always a lie. There's always a lie. Every temptation is a lie. That's why when Jesus talked about Satan, he says, he's the father of lies. That's his playbook. Remember, Jesus is the truth. And so Satan, he takes a little bit of that truth and he says, this is what'll give you life. This is what'll feel better. This is what you were designed to do. This is what, what I, I mean, come on, you're mature. You can handle this. And it always has a lie. It's the lie of the temptation, but even worse, the worst deception we do with that is the great deception of sin is that we turn on God. We turn on God in it. That, that in that moment, instead of leaning into the truth, we turn away from it. And why do I say that? Well, we hide from him in shame. We hide from him. I'll have people I'll talk to and, and they'll have said to me, hey, I'm gonna come to church this weekend and then I don't see them there. And, and I had one person, they kept saying it and, and here was their response. They said, Tim, if you knew what I did on Saturday night, you would know I had no business being in a church on Sunday morning. I'm just telling you, my heart broke when I heard it. Because they've fallen to the lie that says, man, I'm so bad, I've done so much. I can't be around God. I can't be around God's people. 
They're doing the same thing. Again, go back to Genesis 3. We keep playing out the same script. What did Adam and Eve do as soon as they ate? They hid. They hid from each other. They looked at each other and they suddenly were ashamed of themselves. They're ashamed of their bodies. They go, they go in, they grab leaves to cover themselves up. And they hide from God instead of going to God. They'd had this great relationship with God and they start hiding from him. And, and, and you look at them, I mean, they're grabbing leaves. You think you're gonna cover this up with leaves? They're gonna die. They're, they're reaching for temporary solutions to a permanent problem. And so they tell themselves, we got this, we can cover this, nobody has to know this. And they're hiding from God. And then what happened when, when they finally were confronted with it? They blame him and others in defensiveness. What did Adam do when God finally, he confines them and brings them and says, hey, and he said, why are you covered up? And they said, well, we, we knew we were naked. He said, who told you we were naked? Did you do the one thing I told you not to do? The one thing. And, and why does God confront him? Because he knows if you don't deal with it, you don't deal with it. And he loves them enough to deal with it. And in that moment, he said, did you? And our boy Adam, he steps up as a man, doesn't he? Steps up and says, yes, I did it. I'm sorry. No, read the story. What does he do? First word out of his mouth is the woman. He blames her, but who's he ultimately blaming? He says, the woman whom you gave me, she was your idea, not mine. I mean, I took a nap and then you did this, <laughs> you know. And, and here, here's the, the sadness and the twistedness of, of what sin does to you. Do you see what he says in that moment? The best gift God had given him is her. It's his partner, his lover, his companionship, all that his heart had longed for, the gift from God. And in that moment, because of sin, he doesn't see the gift anymore. He sees a problem. And he's blaming God and he's blaming her. And she blames the serpent. And, and God in his love, God in his love didn't leave him in that though, did he? Here's what I love about God. Even in our worst moment, he comes looking for us. He comes looking for you. You may be hiding, you may be running. And, and he does love you enough to say, hey, let's deal with this. Let's deal with what's going on here. And notice as well, he, these leaves are not gonna do anything. You've come up with something temporary. And so he makes a sacrifice so that he can clothe them. So that he can deal with it permanently instead of just temporary. And even in that, it's a picture of what he's willing to do for all of us. 
that one day Jesus will come and he will be the ultimate sacrifice because our temporary solutions and our temporary justification and our temporary rationalization and our temporary ways of trying to cover up the problem of sin will not deal with it. And so God made sacrifice for us. See, James says, don't be deceived, especially about God. Don't turn on God. That's the worst thing. See, in that moment when you hide from him, when you blame him, when you turn on him, you're turning from the only one who can actually help you. When you turn from the source of life, what are you left with? Death. When you turn from the source of truth, what are you left with? A life of lies. When you turn from the source of goodness, what are you left with? All this rotten. When you turn from the source of love, because God is love, you're left with the heartache and the pain and the sorrow. James says, that, that's the big lie. Don't be deceived about God. Don't turn from God. Look at what he says in verse 17, for every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Notice he, he turns it in this whole thing around temptation. He says, man, let's look back at God. Don't be deceived about God. Don't turn from God, don't hide from God. Why? Because every good gift, every perfect gift, everything we ever need comes from the Father of light. And I love this line, he says, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. This good and perfect and truthful and holy and loving God will never change. You never have to worry about waking up tomorrow and he treats you differently. You never have to come to a day that you go, man, he won't give mercy anymore. He's not loving anymore. James says, you, you, you can take it to the bank. The Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, the same yesterday, they are the same today. They will be the same forever because God is so consistent in him. Of course you can turn to him. And in this struggle, he's the one that gives you the gifts that you need. In fact, as you think about this struggle with temptation, what are the gifts? His unchanging goodness and love gives every gift needed in trial and temptation. He gives every gift you'll need in that moment. And as I, I just look at scripture, what are those gifts? The first one, the gift of escape in the time of temptation. I don't have to do this. I don't have to give in to this. There is a way of escape. Look how Paul put it. Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. I, I love that line. In other words, we all struggle with the same temptations. And some of you need to hear that because you have it in your head, especially when you come on a Sunday morning. You can come on a Sunday morning, you're at a church-like venture and everybody's you know, dressed up or looking nice. And they all look perfect and they have their perfect families and they've all done anything. And you're sitting there thinking, man, I am the most screwed up person in this room. If anybody knew what I'm struggling with, if anybody knew what went on in my mind, if anybody knew all the things that I, I'm facing or in that. And here's what Paul says, get over yourself. This is common to all of us. 
We are all struggling with this stuff. We all face temptations. It's common to us. But then he says, God is faithful. Don't turn on God. He's always going to be faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you may be able to, and here's our word again, endure. The whole goal of this is I'm learning perseverance. I'm learning endurance. I'm learning how to get stronger in that. But I've got to believe by faith, okay, what is that way of escape he gives me in that moment? And I, I just give you a pattern that I use, a pattern in that. If, if you're in that moment of temptation, when you think about the escape, I put it in three ways. One, refuse to entertain it. Refuse to entertain it. Don't, don't think about it. Don't look at it. Romans 13, four says, make no provision for the flesh. In other words, don't, don't start kind of, you know, let me think about this a little bit. Let me, you know, sit in it for a little bit. So, I mean, you need to think of those desires. You need to think of temptation. It's like a charming, smooth-talking thief that's come to your door. And if you go and keep talking to it, you know, well, I'm going to listen. He's making a good point out there. He'll talk his way in every time and rob you blind. What do you do with a smooth talking thief at your door? You turn out the light, you lock the door. You can call the police, by the way. Call God, get him. You don't entertain it. And there comes a point in temptation, you gotta decide, am I gonna keep engaging this or not? Am I gonna be like that duck and I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna just fly a little bit lower. I'm gonna take another circle. I promise you at some point, the hunter pops up and the gun comes out. You refuse that. And then with that, you reject the lie. Because remember, every temptation comes with a lie. A lie about you, a lie about God, a lie about what brings life, a lie about what you need, what you want. It always comes with a lie. And, and you choose in that moment, you go, you know what? This is not gonna bring me the life I think. This is not gonna deliver. And Satan is lying to me in the process with that. And, and then the final part is refocus on the truth. And this is what I learned from Jesus. I mean, look at Jesus when, when he was tempted by Satan himself. It's fascinating to me. He is God in the flesh. Everything he says is scripture. I mean, there's a reason in our Bibles we have red letters because Jesus talked. We know it's scripture. In the moment of temptation though, notice what Jesus does. He doesn't decide to say, you know what? I'm gonna engage in a conversation with Satan over this. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna refute it in a new way. I'm gonna provide something new. In the moment of temptation, what does Jesus do? He says, I'm going to quote what God has already written. Now I think part of the reason he did that was for our benefit. What a model in that. He doesn't come to it and say, man, I need to engage this and refute that. He goes, no, I'm shutting it down. He's lying to me. This is not the truth. And then he quotes scripture to him again and again. And I would encourage you, maybe you've got a core temptation. Maybe there's something you face again and again. You would do well to look in the Bible and memorize the scriptures that speak to that subject and to be prepared in that moment to go, you know what, I'm not going to engage this. I'm not gonna stick with it. I'm going to reject the lie in the moment and then I'm going to refocus my mind on truth. I'm not going to sit there and 
in front of the computer and I'm gonna kind of tell myself, well, I, I need to keep working when I'm really being tempted to do something else. I'm not gonna keep watching something I know I don't need to watch. I'm not gonna sit there as a couple in an environment where we know this is gonna lead. We're going to reject that and, and put ourselves out of it. We refuse to engage it. I'm not gonna keep going with the same group of friends and I know they're gonna gossip and I set myself up for it. See, I, I get honest with myself about these issues. And then I learn to refocus and flood my mind with truth. Guys, more than we like to admit, there's a gift of escape. It just means hard choices in it. He also gives the gift of forgiveness in our struggles and failures. There's a gift of escape and then there's a gift of forgiveness. And this is what I love about our God. He knows our struggles. He knows our heart. He knows when we not only stand strong, but also when we fall. And he forgives and he forgives and he forgives. That's why when you find yourself in that shame, instead of hiding, instead of telling yourself, man, if anybody knew this, if I went to God with this, he'd be so disappointed right now. That's why, what John says in 1 John, he says, hey, if anybody says he's without sin, you're a liar. I love his honesty. He goes, you're lying to yourself if you think you're not struggling with things. But then he immediately says, but if we confess our sins, God is always faithful. He's always just to forgive it. And we can live in the light as he's in the light. I don't have to live in that death. I don't have to live in that lie. I can live in the truth of it. He always gives the gift of forgiveness. And, the, and then the final part, and this is the part I love the most, he gives the gift of real life where he changes my desires. Where, where he helps me start to desire him more than I desire that, whatever that is. Where he starts shaping me. I remember years ago, Lee and I were leading a life group and we had a couple in the group, uh, Dave and Kay. And uh, when they first started our group, I think they were living together initially. And then they got married and they were kind of on this faith journey, really early faith journey. And I'll never forget, we'd been in a group for about a year. And one night Dave said, he goes, you know, we've gotten so weird. He's talking about them as a couple. I said, really, what do you mean when you say that? He said, if you, last, this weekend, Saturday night, if you told me on a Saturday night, I said, I used to every night, we were gonna hit the clubs, we were gonna do something. We were gonna go out there and have some fun. And he goes, we find ourselves now, we're serving in children's ministry on Sunday morning and we love doing it so much and we have to be up early for it. We like staying home now on Saturday night. And I said, you know, part of growing up is you learn that staying home is not a bad deal. He goes, no, it's not just that. He said, here's the part that I, if you had told me even a few years ago, I never would have fathomed. He said, I have more fun teaching those kids than I ever had on a Saturday night. He said, something has changed in me. 
And, and a, a look at it, here's all he's describing, is I am enjoying the life that Jesus brings. More, more than anything that I thought was bringing me life before. I, I want to say this because some of you, you've had a long-term struggle with the temptation that you never chose. And you've prayed for God to take it away. And I pray that with you. And it's the same prayer that we prayed last week. Some have had long-term illness and we pray for God's healing. And sometimes God in his sovereignty chooses a non-intervention. He doesn't take away the sickness and for some people that struggle is something they carry with them. Hear me, because the enemy wants to tell you, give in to it. You're missing out on life. I promise you, that's the voice of death. And that's a lie. Even in the hardest, trust Jesus. Trust the life he brings. And venture as a church, knowing that it's common to all of us. The way the temptation shows up is different for each of us. But the fact that we struggle or are in this is common to all of us. Shouldn't this be the place where we most reflect that grace? Shouldn't this be the place where the voice of encouragement is there? Shouldn't this be the place that people in the depths of their struggle don't feel like they have to run and hide, but they feel like even in the shame of it, they can bring it into the light and they not only experience the love of God, but they experience the love of God's people as we walk this journey together. It's hard choices, but it always, always, always leads to life in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for just clear teaching of James that you call us to this truth, to live in this truth. Lord, I, I pray there, there's people all over the room, maybe each of us, we can think of something that we just find ourselves struggling with. Some of it's run so deep for so long. Lord, we don't always know why you've chosen to allow us to have this struggle, but we know that you are good. We know that you are even using all things in our life that we don't have to give into it, that we can find forgiveness in it, and that even at our heart level, you're changing our desires to want you more. Lord, in all this, I, I just find myself even preaching this message. It just humbles us. And I'm humbled now recognizing how much I need you and we need you. And so even as we go into this song, I, I pray, would you use it as our prayer that we can just confess to you, you are good and you are loving and you are strong and we need you. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc. 